सिक्स Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. My name's Corey, and I'm bringing you another podcast full of stuff that you're gonna want to listen to. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so you better give it a shot. No, no, no. I got some cool stuff today. A lot, a lot has been going on. I've been very busy this week, and I meant to watch more movies. I really did. Had every intention of it, but uh, you know, things got extremely busy for me this week. And, uh, you know, I only watched uh, one, not two movies, two movies, but I'm not going to talk about the one. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing um, an upcoming movie that will be coming out in the UK here very soon. It's by Safecracker Pictures, and it's called Diary of a Bad Lad. Actually, is on DVD in the UK on June 28th of this year, so here very, very soon. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be reviewing that a little bit later on. And then on Netflix, I watched Night Beast. <laughs> Why not? Um, I don't know much about it. It was in my queue for whatever reason. And uh, I picked it up and started watching it. And uh, I didn't I didn't pay attention to a lot of it because I got distracted. Like, I was, I was kind of trying to work at the same time. And then I, I would focus on work and then look back up at the movie. And so it was back and forth. Um, anyhow, I think I'm going to like this movie. But... Uh, I haven't really given it the full attention that I should. So I'm going to review it uh, next week. I'm going to watch it again. Uh, not because I'm saying that it warrants another watch, uh, because I may end up hating it once I actually pay attention to it. But uh, yeah, so I'll tell you all about it uh, next week. So that's the only movie review. But, 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 I have a book review. I listened to the audiobook, anyhow, of Play Dead by Ryan Brown. Um, Rick Moore... Uh, sent me this uh, suggestion. He said he'd like to hear my take on it and what I thought about it. So I went out and immediately bought the audiobook, and I finally finished it up here in the last few days. And so I'll be giving my review of that and whether you should read it or listen to it or whatever. But it, it is actually a novel. Um, got a beer review from my friend Brian in Colorado, which is incredibly awesome. I was really, really happy to see that come in. Talked to Brian this week or last week or something. I'm like, dude... You gotta send more beer reviews. I miss them, and uh, so he's up for it. He's gonna he's gonna do a few. So that is incredibly wonderful. Got to thank him for sending that in. I uh, got voicemail. I got more original music. <laughs> more original music. Oh yeah, and an interview. Now, if you remember, here a couple episodes ago, I uh, reviewed the movie Bikini Girls on Ice. And the director is Jeff Klein, and uh, I'll be speaking with him a little bit later on. Very interesting, and a uh, really good guy. So yeah, yeah, that's all coming up. Um, what else am I doing? Oh, the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest. Why haven't you entered? And why haven't you entered repeatedly? Come on. <laughs> no, we've got a lot of great entries. Uh, got a whole bunch. And so here's the thing. We're getting to uh, a, a number of entries right now where uh, I think people should be more motivated to send them in, especially, you know, if you're not that confident about your work. Because we have enough entries at this point that if you send yours in, there's probably going to be another one in there that's going to suck more than yours. So there you go. There you go. There's probably one in there somewhere that's going to be worse. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not guaranteeing it, though. You could quite possibly send in the worst one. <laughs> but your chances are very slim. 
So, oh, come on, just have fun. I might even do one, not, not so I can win all this cool stuff, although I'd love to, but uh, because, uh, you know, I just want to try it out and I don't know. But anyhow, send it in. Send your uh, 500 word or less zombie flash fiction story to Corey at midnightcory.com. Put zombie flash fiction contest in the subject line. And there you go. You're entered in. You can enter up to three times. So why not? Why not? So yes, yes. Very good. You got until the 4th of July to do that. So only another week, week and a half here, depending on when you're listening. So, yeah, yeah. Somebody write me a patriotic zombie flash fiction. That's what we need. Actually, I haven't read any of them because I want to stay kind of unbiased up till now if I'm writing one. And uh, I don't want to go and steal anyone's ideas, which I'm, I'm kind of prone to doing. Uh, so, sometimes. If I read something, it's like I want to write something that's like that. And, and speaking of reading stuff right now, I'm actually in the middle of a couple things. I just started Empire by David Dunwoody, but right now I am deep into Rob Best's sequel to Lakewood Memorial called Ashton Memorial. Uh, it's not available yet to the public. Um, it's going to be, uh, I think, a few more months yet before it's out. But Rob, the wonderful, wonderful person he is, uh, asked me and a bunch of others to read some preview copies that he had before it goes to press. And I'll tell you what, I'm really loving it. It is fantastic. Fantastic. If you liked Lakewood Memorial, which I know a lot of you did, and you should really give it a shot if you haven't read it. But if you like that, you're going to love Ashton Memorial. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> but next up, like I said, on my reading list, uh, I'm doing Empire right now. I'm not very far into that. But um, I'm also reading... Uh, Lucky Stiff by Tanya Brown. Now, this is one that just came out on uh, Library of Erotic Horror Press. Um, Lucky Stiff, so you can only imagine what's going on here. But uh, no, actually, I've been reading about it on the Library of the Living Dead forums. And uh, yeah, it, and I, I've read some really good reviews of this so far, too. So I'm excited to get into that, but it's like... You know, my reading pile, I always talk about it. There's too much in it, but uh, anyhow, yeah. But I'm excited about reading all of these, and uh, I'll do it as fast as I can. Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, do you want some more, like, weird headlines and weird articles and stuff that's been going on that's for real, even more horrific than some movies you've probably seen? Why not? Why not? I really enjoy looking this kind of thing up. Love when I stumble upon uh, these kind of things. And I always enjoyed giving this on other podcasts and stuff. So why not? Let's get into a few. The first one I want to talk about is Husband Sister Dug Up from Graves. Now, this is out of the great state of Pennsylvania, where I live. Although, I live in the extreme northwestern corner. And uh, I think this is more towards the central or eastern part of the state, because I've never heard of this place. But uh, anyhow, this is courtesy of WBNG.com, which I guess is the local station in the area. Um, a 91-year-old woman was found keeping the bodies of her husband and sister in her home. And what's more is someone had gone out and dug these bodies out of the cemetery for her to keep in her house. So... Old woman must have missed them. <laughs> really must have. But the decaying bodies were found by state police in this old lady's home. Her APA. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that goes on here. It's weird. Although, not as weird as like West Virginia or something like that. That. It's weird. <laughs> oh. I'm just saying that because I know there are people out there 
who I am friends with and who are listening to the show who are from West Virginia. So that's kind of funny. Next one. This is out of the sun.co.uk. This all has to do with a guy who's in jail. This is a cannibal one. This is, this is really weird. But there's a guy who's in jail for rape right now. He killed his cellmate, ripped out his lungs, and he cooked them on a camp stove, along with onions and garlic and olive oil, things like that. He really prepared a nice meal out of this guy's lungs. And uh, he said that he ate the lungs because he meant to get the heart. You know, he missed the heart. He got the lungs. He thought he had the heart, but it was actually the lung. And the reason he was going for the heart is because he thought that if he ate the heart, he'd be able to steal the guy's soul. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. Now, I I'm wondering if these are like some readily available items to the prisoners wherever they're being held right now, like a camping stove uh, onions and garlic and olive oil and things to cook with. Really? <laughs> Didn't anybody notice the guy being ripped apart, having his organs <laughs> torn out of him and cooked in this fairly intricate meal? <laughs> I don't know. There is a line in the article, though, saying that, uh, the authorities should take a lot of the blame for this because they kind of didn't notice anything. <laughs> they didn't notice how crazy this guy was to begin with. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is out of the UK somewhere. But yeah, yeah. Cannibal one. Another cannibal one. Now, this, this is actually about a movie dealing with cannibals. Um, this is one I'd never heard of. There's a guy by the name of Andrew Van Den Houten who made a movie a couple years ago called Offspring which is apparently a cannibal movie. He made it in Michigan. And Michigan actually helped him fund this movie because uh, Michigan and a lot of other states either will offer you financial aid or they will um, offer you tax breaks and things like that if you come and make your movie in their state and somehow, quote, promote tourism to your state. So that's how they justify the taxpayers paying this kind of money for films to get made. Well, this guy came in a couple years ago, made Offspring. It's a cannibal movie. Um, pretty gory, I guess. Uh, I've never heard of it, but uh, actually I am looking for it right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review it if I do see it, because it sounds, I mean, it's a cannibal movie, so why not? So he wants to make a sequel in Michigan again, so he went back and he applied for more money from the government. Well, they rejected it. Uh, the name of the movie that he wants to make is called The Woman, and apparently they're really, uh, now all of a sudden they're kind of up in arms about this. Well, they say that the movie's too extreme based on the script that they read. And uh, that it doesn't necessarily present Michigan in a uh, positive light. <laughs> Which I guess the director is quite surprised with. Because they made the first one. They funded the first one. Which apparently they did things to babies in that movie. So... I guess this one isn't as bad. Uh, so it, it's just very surprising. A lot of people think it just has to do with the economy and just having to cut where you're spending taxpayer money. And uh, I don't know. But you got to be somewhat consistent. But that's kind of surprising. I'm going to look up uh, Offspring, the first movie. And like I said, I'm going to review it. So why not? The last article that uh, I want to tell you about this week is about Jeremy London. Now, I always get Jeremy London confused with his older brother, Jason, who looks exactly the same as Jeremy. And uh, Jason is the one, though, that starred in Dazed and Confused. So any time that I see either one of those guys, 
I'm like, hey, that's the guy from Dazed and Confused. <laughs> or actually, it's two different brothers. Now, this is about Jeremy London. He's had a lot of drug problems. He's been in and out of rehab. He's a recovering addict. But something really, really weird <laughs> happened to him. Uh, as he was taking the straight and narrow, he was clean, <laughs> really working hard to get sober again. Uh, somebody held him at gunpoint and forced him to use drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so people kidnapped him and made him use drugs, um, and he was just outside changing a flat tire. And they took him, said, here, do all these drugs. <laughs> yeah, something like that happened to me in college. That's why I am the way I am. No. Um, but a span of 12 hours went by there, so he had to use all these hard drugs for 12 hours, and he's very lucky that he's not dead. You know, he looks very well. He looks like a strong, young American man. And, <laughs> but that's really weird. And there's a picture of the suspect. He's just some guy <laughs> who kidnapped him. So there you go. Those are the weird articles that I found for you this week.
Well, holy moly, I was taking a break here from recording the podcast, looked on my Twitter feed, and my friend Mick Pierce from A Little Dead Podcast sent me a link uh, on Twitter to this Walking Dead article, which was very cool. Thank you, Mick Pierce. I'm going to talk about that. Um, but also, he reminded me that I had a Walking Dead article that I wanted to talk about this week, and I completely forgot about. So, first, I'm going to tell you about my article here. Now, this is from ain'titcool.com, so this is like a, uh, a news site or something like that. I guess it talks a lot about comics and things like that. But anyhow, one of their guys uh, went out. He was invited as part of the press to uh, go cover the production of The Walking Dead TV show. So there are a couple very interesting things about this article. First of all, my confidence in the series has been strengthened because here's, here's a quote from the article. For those worried that AMC is going to shackle Darabont and his collaborators, the only thing I can say is that I was there for one of the earliest scenes of the series, and I saw an eight-year-old zombie girl with her cheek chewed off, teeth showing through, get shot in the head. End quote. Yes. Yes. So I knew it. I knew it. I, I figure that, uh, you know, there, there's really going to be very loose bounds as to what they can do on here. I, I think they're mainly concerned about language. As a matter of fact, and uh, the only other thing I think that they would uh, have something to say about would be any sexual content. But really, there's not much of that at all in The Walking Dead. So I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Anyhow, reading further down the article, <laughs> uh, it ends up that Ian Anderson appeared on the set. Now, who's Ian Anderson? Ian Anderson is a legend to me. I love Ian Anderson. He is the head man of Jethro Tull. Uh, he's also done uh, a lot of solo work and things like that. But he sings, he plays the flute. Uh, most people know him for that. Uh, he, he also plays guitar. He's a magnificent songwriter. And Jethro Tull has an amazing catalog. You ought to pick up their discography somewhere. <laughs> Just go buy all the Jethro Tull that you can find. <laughs> Except that really weird one. Uh, what was the one where he had songs about the internet and email and stuff? <laughs> that one that one was a little weird. Although I think I, I, I still have it, though. So, <laughs> of course. But I love Jethro Tull. So Ian Anderson, he, he's a great guy, shows up on the set of The Walking Dead. Now, why is he there? Well, apparently Ian Anderson is the father-in-law of the guy who's playing Rick Grimes. Uh, so uh, his, his name is uh, Andrew Lincoln. And uh, apparently Ian Anderson is the father-in-law of Andrew Lincoln. So how about that? <laughs> so the guy got to hang out with Ian Anderson, and he even had his flute with him and everything. <laughs> so that's very interesting. Uh, look for that link on MidnightCorey.com in the show notes, uh, because this is a really, really great article. So I got to thank somebody on Twitter for posting this. Uh, there are even more pictures as I'm scrolling through the article right now. Uh, I see a great-looking zombie. Holy cow. That is really, really good. There is uh, Rick Grimes right there with a gun. Very cool. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, yeah. Which leads me right in to the article that McPierce sent me via Twitter. Thank you, my friend McPierce. Once again, I cannot thank you enough, and I will continue to thank you during this entire segment. So thank you. <laughs> Three more photos from The Walking Dead. Now, this is on SuperheroHype.com. And again, this link will be posted up to MidnightCorey.com, or you can go to my Twitter feed. 
and uh, probably dig it up there. But there are three more pictures. Now, this is the same one of Rick that I just saw in the article before this, but the other two feature zombies. We got a great-looking zombie guy with a big gash in his head. And then uh, I think that's Robert Kirkman. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be damned. Robert Kirkman surrounded by zombies, and the zombies look cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I get more and more and more excited about this. There's a lot of news coming out about The Walking Dead, so read about it. If you haven't read The Walking Dead, you know, I wish that I could uh, have the time to dig up my discussions of The Walking Dead, but edit uh, edit them. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm blathering. Hey, Corey. It's Evil Nate from Michigan. Uh, glad you guys are back on uh, podcasting. Um, just want to say thanks for uh, to Tom for calling us out on the podcast last episode. So, thank you, Tom. That was really nice of you. Oh, I've I've seen this movie. Uh, it was called Low, and um, everybody I've asked never even heard of it. But I watched it on Netflix instant, and I didn't know if you've seen it or any of our listeners have. So. Uh, if anybody has, let me know what you guys thought of it. I really liked it. It's kind of a different movie. It was set up almost like a play, but and I don't really like plays, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, but Corey, it's quite, I'm glad to have you back. So keep up what you're doing, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Nate, thanks for calling in, my friend. It's it's great to hear from <laughs> all the people that I have heard from before, you know, from that other podcast. <laughs> oh, man, it is really good to hear from you, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, it's, it's flattering. It's a much more general thing now, and I don't have as much zombie stuff in it. And I wish I did, but uh, you know how it is, man. <laughs> so, And that movie, Low, uh, I had never heard of it. Either. I looked it up on Netflix, uh, and I put it on my instant queue. So you know what? I'm going to review that. And it looks quite interesting. <laughs> it really does. Uh, for those of you out there who also may want to watch this movie, uh, it's spelled L-O, low, uh, from here a couple years ago, I think you said. And uh, yeah, very interesting on Netflix instant queue. So Evil Nate, thanks for calling in, my friend. Voicemail of death if you want to call in and tell me about something or prank call me. I don't know, get all drunk and, you know, want to tell me the story of your life? 814-806-2828. Noise, 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 smoking weed, smoking weed, doing coke, drinking beers. Pack her ass, my good man. Time to kick back, drink your beers, and smoke your weed. Beer review this week is from my good friend Brian in Colorado. Beer Advocate Magazine calls Stone Brewery the, quote, all-time best brewery on the planet Earth, the most popular and highest-rated brewery ever, end quote. The magazine may be understating the truth. Back in 1989, brewer Steve Wagner and businessman Greg Cook met over beers. After three years of conversation, facilitated by many more beers and visits to other breweries, the two men convinced investors to back them in this most excellent business venture. Every year, Stone releases a, quote, anniversary ale, limited edition special. The 11th anniversary ale was extremely popular. It sold out about as fast as it was released. Customers loved it, but until now, that loved was unrequited. Luckily, the folks at Stone Brewery listened to their customers, and the brew is available again as a limited release. Sublimely Self-Righteous Ale is a black IPA, double hopped. When I say black... I mean, this is the darkest beer going. 
The aroma is hoppy. The head is tan and it lasts. The pronounced roasted maltiness is balanced with a powerful blast of hops. Do you like hops? If you don't, skip this ale. Brewed with Chinook and Simcoe hops, and then dry hopped with Amarillo hops. The big flavor benefits from an 8.7% alcohol content. I love this beer. I think it may be too heavy to drink three bombers in a single sitting, but then again, I'd like to test that theory repeatedly. I may be testing that theory now as you listen to this podcast. That, or I'm sleeping off the effects of rigorous beer research. Now, a word about this review. In that other podcast, my emails were called the Beer Review. I feel that the past is the past, though, and I want to refer to my future submissions to your show as a review of beers. I also considered calling myself Colorado's Brian, but that's probably going too far. (laughs) Brian in Colorado. Thank you, my friend. And from now on, this will be, in fact, the review of beers. This is Blackburn, gateway to Lancashire's beautiful hill country. Like all large towns, it also has its own criminal underworld. What I don't want you to get is I'm some kind of heavy. Yeah. I'm certainly not a debt collector or anything like that. I'm more of a debt counselor. Okay, cheers, yeah. you got a problem with chronic irrigation? Listen, if it was good enough for Princess Diana, I mean, that woman was a saint. It's documentary. It's the truth. He's so underneath and so scheming and his brain's so criminal. I wouldn't be surprised if these two motherfuckers ended up in a coffin somewhere. Get off me! This guy's dead. You're dead guy, yeah? One bag's full of sugar, the other's full of coal. Which one's which? Well, I couldn't, could I? No. I mean, not without having a taste. No, and you can't taste videotape either, can you? So where's the evidence? You want to bang your face? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that, yeah. My parents are just gonna go fucking ape shit. Don't tell them. I'm recording it. You fucking tell them it's fake. You fucking idiot. Well, the movie Diary of a Bad Lad. This is coming out on DVD June 28th, 2010. Here real soon from Safecracker Pictures. Now, I gotta thank them for sending me this screener over. That was very kind. I'm getting some really, really cool screeners in lately. This is directed by Michael Booth, written by Jonathan Williams, and starring people such as Joe O'Byrne, Paul Bertwistle, Donna Henry, Roxanne Gregory, Clive Bunnell. I don't know. I haven't heard of them before. Uh, Here's their synopsis. Again, they've taken the time and effort to send it to me, so I'm gonna read it to you, because it's better than I could make up. Frustrated filmmaker Barry Lick sets out to make a sensationalist crime documentary on the cheap about the charmingly psychopathic Tommy Morgan, a local businessman involved in property rackets, prostitution, pornography, and drug trafficking. 
But Tommy is more cunning and ruthless than any of the filmmakers can begin to imagine, and mercilessly exploits them for his own ends. Unfortunately, Barry is so fixated with his one big filmmaking chance, he doesn't realize just how far out of his depth he really is, and how his obsession will perilously compromise his ethics, and ultimately put all their lives in jeopardy. <laughs> wow, this is quite the movie. Uh, this was one of those kind of found footage films, almost. Uh, this was put together, supposedly, from the tapes that this Barry Lick guy shot for his documentary. So uh, he was some kind of college professor. Uh, he was suspended, but still getting paid. So he went out and decided this was his chance to make a movie. Wow, uh, that's a pretty good synopsis. So uh, we start out, these filmmakers want to make a documentary about this gangster. <laughs> and they start interviewing people about him. They, they meet people close to him, and eventually they meet him. And he just completely screws them. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. There's a lot of kind of really dark humor in it, and I really appreciated that. Um, it is just so funny what happens to these poor filmmakers. And this just goes to show you that you never, ever try to do this kind of thing. You know, who in their right mind is going to make a documentary about a gangster and try to interview people about it and film all these illegal activities, do hidden camera stuff like he was doing. And then who in their right mind is going to get on board with this guy to actually go make it? <laughs> it really, oh, yeah, it's nuts because you see it coming. You're just like, this cannot end up good whatsoever. And uh, no, no, it, it really doesn't. You, get, you should probably go watch this. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate that I got the chance to watch it. Um, the only thing that, uh, well, a couple complaints. Okay, two things. Two things I didn't like, maybe uh, I thought was a bit much. First of all, it was the accent. This is a UK film, uh, and it, it is very well made, but the accent... I just couldn't understand things <laughs> very often. I mean, I think there were some pretty important points that I missed because some of the people talk so fast and slur so much of their speech together that it's just really hard. <laughs> it really is. And you know what? I'm not even fully convinced anymore that they should call the language English that they speak in some parts of the UK. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. <laughs> I had that problem with the movie Dead Meat. Uh, that was an Irish film, and boy, oh boy, it's the same kind of thing. It's just, I, I feel that I missed things. And the other thing, uh, I don't think, you know, a lot of this was uh, downright pornography. They actually showed <laughs> some of the, the, the porn, basically, that uh, was being shot and distributed and things. And uh, I, I wondered why it was there, uh, for none other than the value of having naked people in your movie. <laughs> Yeah, but, oh man, it just, it didn't add to the film. Uh, I could have done without it. But uh, other than that, hey, great movie uh, coming out on the 28th in the UK. Uh, fantastic. Diary of a Bad Lad. I appreciate that I got the opportunity to see this uh, on a scale of uh, 1 to 10 or 0 to 10. I don't know, I use 0 sometimes for some movies. But uh, yeah, on a scale, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Really enjoyed it. And uh, that's it. Hey everybody, my name is TJ and I host the 13 Skulls Podcast. If you've ever had an unexplainable experience, then you know it's hard to understand. 
visit www.the13skulls.com and come with me on a journey to a world that lies just beyond our comprehension. The world of the paranormal. All right, well, I'm sitting here with Mr. Jeff Klein. Jeff is the director of Bikini Girls on Ice. I reviewed this a couple episodes back, and I really enjoyed it for the slasher fun. So, Jeff, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me here, Corey. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Bikini Girls on Ice. Now, this is this is your directorial debut, was it not? Yeah, it was. Um, I, had, I had worked on, uh, you know, a bunch of short films and a bunch of uh, super low-budget indie films as uh, as a DP and uh, an editor and whatnot. And uh, it just kind of felt like the timing was right. I didn't want to do, um, you know, my first feature film without being 100% ready to commit, you know, three years of my life to it. Right. And uh, at that point in my life, you know, I... Uh, I had a steady job. I had no no kids yet or anything like that, so uh, the timing was right. You know, take that plunge. Oh. If you don't take that plunge head first, uh, you're going to fail. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's what yeah. I picked up just uh, talking to a lot of people making independent films. It's like you just got to yeah. put your heart and soul and your life into it to get yeah. it made. You have to. Otherwise, uh, you're going to have something lackluster, and then it's not even worth the money you and time you put into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I saw a rumor on IMDb, so I want you to confirm or deny this. I don't know if there's any truth uh, to it. I know where this is going. <laughs> oh, about how the, where the film came from, where the idea was. Yeah. And um, yeah. why don't you tell everyone how, how this came about, where you got the idea? Well, actually, um, I have a friend who's uh, sometimes when we, we're sitting around having a couple beers, and he starts to babble on about uh, his sexual fantasies and, and whatnot, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and one day, he, we, I, I think we were at spring break in Panama City Beach or something, and uh, he started blurting out how he, his, you know, his, his fantasy that he wanted to fulfill was to basically have sex with a girl and then put her on ice so that she's like uh, freezing to death and then you want to have sex with her again to bring her back to life. That was like kind of where it fought. I was kind of standing there with my jaw wide open. I was like, I was like, this guy's crazy, you know? And then it kind of, nothing was really done about it, you know, for a couple of years. And then, uh, and then uh, I was just talking with one of my other buddies who the, the co-producer on the film, Jeff Ross. And I was like, man, I really want to make a, a slasher film, you know, but I really don't, I don't know what topic to, to, to do that I'm going to be devoted to for three years, you know? Mm. And I just remember him sending me this email, and it just said, why don't you just keep it simple, and you make a film called Bikini Girls on Ice, and the tagline would be, these girls are so hot, they need to be put on ice. <laughs> and I, I was sitting in front of my computer, and I read this, and I was just like, that is it. Like, <laughs> nice. that, that, that's, how you, that's a title, and that's a tagline, you know? Yeah. So everything kind of spawned from that, and, uh, you know, uh, and here we are today, so. Beautiful beautiful so are, have you been i mean obviously you're a slasher fan yourself is that uh is that pretty much your favorite subgenre? yeah it really is yeah. um uh you know growing up I, I was really into the uh the italian horrors mm. like argento and uh, and you know fulci and bava and all that kind of stuff um i liked them because especially argento i liked them because um aesthetically they were very pleasing to the eye Mm -hmm. um, and then when it came to um, you know the slasher, the, the killer, it was very classic. It was very much 
you know, uh, the the, um, the knife in the air, the reaction, the blood splatter, that, 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 you know. Right. And that's kind of reflected in my film. That um, is. You know, I, I really didn't go over the top with the way the trends are today where, you know, you show ultra gore, ultra gore for, you know, for everything. You try and shock the audience as much as possible. I tried to really just, uh, you know, keep it uh, simple the way, you know, the directors that I, that I really admired growing up um, used to do it, you know, so... Yeah, I never thought of that, actually. Um, I wasn't thinking in terms of, like, the uh, the whole Italian influence, I guess, on your on your movie when I was watching it. But now that you say that, it makes total sense because it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's beautifully shot. The quality, picture quality in the cinematography is, is very, very good. Awesome. And, very um, good and a lot of what you did was implied as far as the violence. And, you know, it's just off screen. And like you said, you're seeing a lot of reaction shots and a lot of knife in the air type of shots and at first I was like oh well they probably did that because they didn't have the budget to do right. great effects and while that part of that may be true uh, right. I, I do like that as a stylistic choice also yeah well that's the thing um, I knew that budget wise we didn't have obviously that much to, to do all the special effects so I said to myself okay I'm going to save the one um, good special effect for um, you know, Lena, who plays the bitch in the film, mm-hmm. so that when she gets it, everybody's kind of like, okay, she gets a good death, and at least it looks good, the splashing of the throat. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and then the rest, I mean, you know, obviously I drew on the, on the influences of, you know, the people that, that influenced me, but uh, definitely, I mean, you are right that it was budget influence at some point. Mm. But, uh, you know what I mean? I, I, I made it kind of re- really consistent in the film. I didn't, you know, just, there weren't some scenes where there were blood and some scenes where there weren't. It was just a style I went with and, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So. Yeah, and you were consistent and that was good. Um, and what you did show was really good, though. You know, the effects, you right, pulled right. them off really well. Um, was that all practical? Did you do any, like, CG, any kind of digital effects on this? No. Or was it all, it was all no. practical? Yeah, it was all practical. That was the other thing I didn't want. I didn't want any CGI. I know that, we in post-production. I went to a couple of post-production houses and looked to see, uh, you know, what my options were for CGI to add in some, you know, more blood splatter and more, uh, you know, more gore on, on that level. Mm. And I just felt that it, it, it ended up taking away from the, the, the rest of the film because mm. um, everything else is, you know what I mean, it's prosthetics and everything, you know, tangible. And I just, I didn't want that uh, 2010 feel for the, uh, for the blood. I wanted the blood to actually flow like blood, you know. And I mean, it's really hard if you don't have super, super professionals doing it in post-production, you know. So oh, that's I didn't want to take that chance. Oh, if you don't yeah. get it perfect, then it sticks out like a sore thumb a lot of times, and it just... Well, that's it. Yeah. It looks ridiculous. Yeah, it know? does. So. It ruins the whole effect, so... No, I'm I'm super glad that you you didn't do uh, any CG, and I I got an eye for it too, and it's just like I was watching, you know, I'm like, okay, the CG. I mean, a horror film made in 2010, you know, chances are it's gonna have CG. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but uh, no, and I couldn't catch anything, and I'm like, either he did this really, really well, or he didn't do it at all, and that was. Yeah, I didn't do it at all. Yeah. yeah so, uh, what would be your favorite slasher? I mean, are you a Friday the Thirteenth guy? Or are you like a Halloween guy, um, or more obscure? You know what? I like, um, like I said, I like the Italians. My favorite Argento film is, uh, is probably Opera. I love Ooh, that movie. Great um, movie. Yeah, and, um, and then when I, over on the American side, my, 
my well, we'll say the Canadian side. My favorite film is definitely Black Christmas. Oh, good. That one. film. Uh, that's definitely where I got a lot of the inspiration for my killer. Mm. In the sense that uh, in, uh, in Black Christmas, they didn't have any any kind of uh, backstory to the character. Right. He was just this really really crazy guy, you know, and you really didn't know where the hell he was coming from. So I wanted to, to play with that a little bit in my film. Um, just to, I find it really intriguing not to know where this evil comes from. Mm. Um, I find that much scarier than, than trying to justify with, uh, you know, backstory where, where the kid was kids by their parents and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, it's just not believable anymore because a lot of people get, have really rough childhoods and they don't grow up to slaughter soccer teams, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, it's it's so hard to be original anymore because there's so much of it out That's there. It. And, That's uh, it. Yeah, so, and, and I know as far as the backstory goes, we are kind of talking about that because probably my biggest criticism of the movie was, was that I'm like, well, I didn't really feel the motivation of the killer, you know? And, right, and, right. You know, and you said um, when you had emailed me originally, which was really cool, and I, I appreciate that, that, um, you know, originally you had more, a little bit more about this guy in the original script, and uh, but whenever yeah, edits well, were being made, you had to cut a lot of it out. Yeah, well, what happened was um, we had more backstory, especially in the final scene of the film, when uh, when Hank, the old man, is kind of has that standoff with Mo. He has this whole thing that he goes into, you know, implying that he knows a lot, and he, you know, he he, he gives a lot of information. And I, I just wasn't uh, the performance wasn't good to, to begin with, mm. and um, and then it was kind of like, well, then if I give in. If I give the audience uh, a, a little peek into what most past is here, then I have to commit to that history that I'm setting up <laughs> in this first film. And right. I wasn't convinced that the history that we were setting up was good enough yet to, um, to warrant it being in the first film and then obviously followed up into the second film, you uh, know? Yeah. So uh, I, I cut the lines and I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, work at it more over the next you know, year, year and a half and really develop this guy um, a little bit better for the for the sequel, so they have a really cool backstory that hasn't been done before, you know. Cool, cool, and I, I keep reading yeah. about the sequel. I know stuff was uh, there was just something posted, I think, to your website uh, about uh, a writer that's got on board with you yeah. now. So, kind of, where are we with the with the sequels? It's it's pretty much just in um, the planning stages, right? Yeah, it's in the planning stages. You know, we're we're uh, I've been talking with a couple of actors. Um, and uh, the writer, I actually met him in uh, at Fright Night Film Fest when I went down in uh, last August. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met him there. We started talking, and uh, I read a couple of his scripts. And uh, I really liked what he what he brought to it. Uh, his name's Dave Campfield, by the way. Um, he brought uh, excellent dialogue, excellent um, characters, and um, he's always trying to think of you know different ways of, of doing things as opposed to just like the the uh, you know the, the normal way that everybody does it, and I, I mean, in Bikini Girls Part One, they, I mean, the biggest flaw is the script, and I mean, I'm I'm not shy to say that I wrote it, but it's not the strongest part of the film, and if I can get that part, you know, that much stronger, um, I think the rest will fall into place, you know. So, uh, so that's where we're standing, where we stand there, and um, we, uh, like I said, we've been. I've been working really hard to, you know, raise funding for this film and try and convince people to, you know, that investing in films is a good idea, yeah. <laughs> which is not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, there's so much out there. It's such a, a just a diluted market 
right now. And uh, yeah, it's a you know you got how many people want to take risks? You know exactly, especially right now. I mean, the economy right is now. horrible. You know, and if, yeah. if it was that hard before, you know, when the economy was relatively well, then it's <laughs> that much harder now. And what did you find? Was, oh, go ahead. Plus, I'm up in, I'm in Montreal in Canada, and right now the film market in Montreal is, is dead. There is just, like, nothing going on here. Oh, wow. So it just makes it that much di- more difficult to find people interested in taking that risk, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, Check it pre-sales. Pre-sales. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, what did you find just overall from beginning to end? What was the most frustrating or maybe the hardest part of getting this thing made? Was it just the fact that you didn't have the money that you necessarily would like to have to make something like this? Or was it... Uh, um, no. Um, the hardest part, honestly, I thought everything was really well planned going in. Uh, we had enough cash to shoot everything there the way I wanted it shot. The real problem was that uh, we had a really terrible summer that summer, and it rained for the first 13 days of shooting. Wow. And, and I had to... I mean, I, I remember just sitting there and just seeing it rain and rain and rain. And when you have a film about bikini girls and car washes, it can't rain. <laughs> right. So I remember the first 13 days of shooting, we had, there were like four or five days we didn't even shoot. And, um, wow. and the problem was that all of our locations were very far apart. The interior of the gas station and the exterior of the gas station are completely different locations. I was going to ask you about that. No, I... Yeah. I, I I didn't yeah. uh, pick it up in the movie at all. I didn't know, but I didn't know if that was actually uh, one one location. That's interesting. Yeah, it totally wasn't, and they were two hours apart. So, oh my and gosh. I only had access to the interior of the gas station on weekends, so I had no cover wow. set just because of all of these things. So if it rained, you know, I was screwed, <laughs> and we got screwed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we we ended up cutting about twenty five pages of the script. So. Uh, a lot of stuff got cut. A lot of stuff. Wow. Wow. Now, yeah. have you... That, you that, know. Was, that was definitely... That was definitely the hardest part of the film. Just, you know, trying to get the thing actually shot with a, with a story that kind of makes sense from A to Z. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you gotten a, any backlash at all about the whole, like, you know, basically blatant kind of sex appeal that uh, the movie's kind of uh, based on a lot? You know, Bikini Girls and... Don't get me wrong. I, I, I like them as much as the next guy. <laughs> and uh, you know it was great, and I think you did do it tastefully. I was I was actually expecting something sleazier, you know what I mean? Well, you know what? This. Everybody's expecting a trashier film than than it really is, right? And it was a conscious. I, I made a conscious decision going in, um, whether it was the right decision or not. But I didn't want to make it trashy. I wanted to, you know, I thought the implication of the girls in the bikinis throughout the entire film was. Uh, you know, it was perverted enough as it is. Did I need to show, you know, extreme close-ups of their breath while they're, just, while they're walking around? I didn't feel it was necessary. And I just felt it was going to take away from from what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what do I, would I have liked more nudity in the film? Yeah, I think a little bit more nudity would have been nice to have. Uh, but, again, you know, you're working with people that don't know you and... Uh, and they're like, why am I going to take my top off for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <and laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So, yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, I've, had, I've, had a couple, I've had a couple of the actors come up to me afterwards, and they were like, if I had known that the film was going to turn out like this, I would have taken my top off in a second, you know? But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for telling me now, you know? <laughs> yeah, really. And you're like, well, we yeah. are making a sequel, you know, so... You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
No, but I, I was. I was expecting uh, a lot more, but I'm, I'm kind of glad you didn't because I think it, it would have almost been, a, uh, I don't know, kind of a mismatch with the rest of the movie, I guess, if, uh, if a lot of it was just blatant nudity and a lot of sex and everything. You get some of that, yeah. but I don't think he overdid it. Like I said, I think it worked. It was tasteful. No, because I, I think that if we did that, it would have overshadowed all of the, the, the nice production value we put into the film, all the nice camera work and the nice framing and lighting. And it, the film, would have, everybody would, would have just talked about, you know, the trashy part of the film. Mm. And that's definitely not, um, you know, what I wanted, obviously. Mm. I know that for the sequel, I definitely will, um, you know, give the audience a little bit more of, of what they want. I mean, in every review that I've read, it's all... It's, I, they're practically the same reviews every time, you know. Yeah. It's always, you know, it's a uh, it's a nice looking film. It's a uh, it's a safe, you know, slasher film, and I just wish there was more, you know, nudity and gore. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, you learn by 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 doing it, you know. Yeah, and this is a fantastic first effort, man. I mean, I've seen a Thank lot you. of films by a lot of first time directors, and <laughs> man, you know, <laughs> not everyone's cut out to do this, but you got some talent. You do, and, and thanks, man. Thank you. So I, I am I, looking. I had a really great team behind me, though. So I, yeah. I was really lucky. I, I, I mean, I had a great director of photography. I had a great gaffer. I had great music, you know, uh, um, guys doing the score. I had a great sound designer. So they really made my life easier, and I learned a lot through the whole process of just, you know, where I could, what levels I could take the film to, mm. um, you know, in post production, and uh, it, it was quite something. That's cool. Now, you talked about yeah. you know lighting and, and things like that, and especially, I love the interior of the gas station. It was great atmosphere, yeah. and, and I think lit really well and shot just right. Um, was was lighting that thing a challenge, or did you use, was it basically a you know naturally lit kind of spooky, or? No, 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 no. We had, uh, we had lights everywhere in that place. Oh, yeah. We had, um, I mean, we had, uh, obviously, the, the, the source, um, set up. I think it was uh, some kind of HMIs on the inside, and then you know everything else uh, was were all lights. Like all the lights that go down the little hallways, the little uh, rows there. Those were all lights that we added because we real, really wanted to, to to make it spooky, you know. Yeah. And I mean this ga- this gas station was not even a gas station. It had been it was a gas station like 35 years ago, uh-huh. and it hadn't been touched since. And it just ended up being like a storage area for like John Deere equipment and stuff like this. Yeah. You'll even see in one, in one of the shots where, where Moe's killing Yellow Bikini, and you'll see behind him there's this box that says John Deere. And I'm like, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm leaving it. This is my homage to John Deere. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was perfect. Everything, I, I thought everything worked together really well. And uh, right. man, man, that was good stuff. Well, one of the big problems we had was... Um, we had to shoot a lot of it during the day, and obviously they're night scenes, so mm. we had to block out all the windows, but that also meant that we were very limited on our, on our camera angles because we couldn't obviously show the windows that were, were blocked out, you know? Yeah. So a lot of times we start scenes, and we're, you know, the camera's already kind of angled towards the interior of the gas station, and I felt that, like, that was a little bit, uh, you know, I had my, my hands tied behind my back a little bit there, but... All in all, uh, I think the interior of the gas station was pretty cool. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for not doing the day for night trick or attempting yeah, that. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that That's is just the, the, la- the lazy man's way of, of trying to get a, a nice shot. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? yeah. So I'm I'm glad you didn't even didn't even think of trying that because that ends up disastrous, worse than CG. 
<laughs> Worse than CG. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember Point Break, but they did it in Point Break for the surfing scene, and uh, oh, wow. it's so clearly different. It's so clearly different because right? you can see the sun reflecting off the waves, <laughs> and and you just know a moon is not off waves. You know? Yeah. Check uh, it out if you ever get the chance. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That that's been a while. Point Break. I think it was in high school. Yeah. Man, I, but. Uh, no, so uh, another thing I liked, of, of course, uh, our lead killer, Mo, you know, the killer. Yeah. Um, I thought he was cast really, really well. Um, he had the look, and uh, yeah. I think his, his, the way he was, uh, his costuming and the way he was made up, I think, was really, really great. Um, and he was really brutal. Like, he was very unsympathetic. And if, yeah. if he had his sights set on you, you were going to die. And that was just it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was exactly it. So I admired was, really the the brutality and the unsympathetic nature you had toward a lot of the characters because it's like time to die, right. you know. Well, I mean, uh, when I was making the film, I was like, the female population is not going to like me at all <laughs> yeah. for doing this. But, <laughs> but it's funny because I work at the uh, uh, my full time job is working at the National Film Board of Canada, and uh, oh. I have a lot of friends over there. They didn't even want to go see the film, so they were like, "This is going to be such trash. We're just going to see women get slaughtered." And they were, you know, they're my friends, but they were just like, "No, this is not for me." <laughs> but when it comes to when it comes to Mo, he was actually the first audition for the film, and I remember, um, you know, showing up to the to the casting, and uh, I showed up in the, in the in the lobby area, and there's this guy sitting there. And, He's well well kept. He's got glasses on. He's reading the newspaper. He's got a cup of coffee next to him. And I was like, okay, I guess this guy works here or something. I don't know, you know. <laughs> then I go into the audition room, and this guy walks in. And the casting director is like, this this guy here, he's going to play Mo. I'm like, he's not going to play Mo? Are you kidding me? This guy, I'm going to sit and have tea with him. I'm not going <laughs> to put him in a jumpsuit and have him kill girls, you know. And then, uh, and then he just, uh, you know, took his jacket off, took his glasses off, put his hair down in front of his face, and he started to grunt. And I was just like, <laughs> "What is this?" <laughs> so it worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he he has a, he has a really good presence. I think. He, yeah, he really, he really does. Yeah. Now, was he that? Got, he, did, did you instruct him a lot on how to do that? Was there a lot there? Or did did he just kind of bring it? Um. Tell you the truth, what I did was. Um, I told him that when he shows up on set, that he's not allowed to talk to anybody, especially the actors. I wanted him to come in and be this mysterious, because nobody knew the guy. So I wanted him to be this mysterious guy who just kind of showed up, got his makeup done, got into costume. I then went through the costume, and he was like waiting to do, his, to do his scene. He would just walk around the set, jumping up and down, breathing heavily, grunting. And everybody was just like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> and, uh, and I think it really worked because it's a lot scarier, even for the actors on set, when they don't know who it is acting with, and they don't know what to expect from this guy. Even though it is a set and it's, it's you know, controlled, they, they didn't know at to, to what level Mo was going was, was gonna to take it. How physical was he going to be? I don't know, because he, he didn't talk to the actors, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, we got some some genuine um, scares from some of the actors when, uh, when, when Moe's trying to basically chase them down and whatnot. So uh, that, that was my trick for, for that. And now obviously we can't do it for the second because Moe's now everybody's friend and he plays guitar and sings songs for the, for the crew all once in a while. So oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's kind of over and done with. But yeah, I lost that element. <laughs> but 
<laughs> no, it that's really well clever. First couple of weeks. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's fantastic, and uh, yeah, and it, it it is a good director that can recognize, you know, what uh, how to bring those things out of people, and well, that's it. You got to yeah. you know you got to figure out ways uh, to to get the message across, and uh, I had no idea if it was going to work or not. You know what I mean? But uh, I must say though that when when Mo showed up. Uh, William Jaron, when he showed up, he, he did bring another element to the character that, that I hadn't thought of. Like, he, he just brought it to the next level. He really went, you know, a little crazy, um, you know, with his orgasms after he killed uh, his victims and whatnot. And uh, I hadn't uh, told him to do that, but uh, that, it was one of those levels that he, you know, took it upon himself. He's like, I'm just going to go all out and, and do it, you know? Right, so, right. Yeah, yeah, he was he was definitely the the highlight as far as the the cast went for the film. Other than the bikini girls, I mean they, you know, that uh, that's yeah, that's they a were bikinis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so that's that's a tough yeah. call, but uh, no, no. All in all, it was great. Um, and it, yeah, I had a good time. And for like you said, for what it is, it's a it's a slasher. It's a, just a good old fun slasher. You know, really, that's no it. more, no less. And you pretty much know what you're getting. You know what? I tell everybody it is what it is. That's what I tell them, and either you like it or you don't. Uh, don't ex- you know? Don't expect this film to answer your existential questions. It's not going to. Right. Just go in with a couple beers and a popcorn and uh, have fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, this was a fantastic first effort on your part, and just there's so many things that you're that you know you're gonna learn throughout this whole process. And uh, yeah. just you'll keep growing film by film, and yeah, I think you're gonna do some really, really great stuff, man. And uh, that's great, thanks, Corey. So absolutely. Well, right now this is available. Um, my friends at Kaleidoscope over in the UK sent this over to me to watch, and so you can buy it um, at if you go to bikinigirlsonice.com. You can, I think there's a link to the uh, Amazon UK yeah, site. Yeah, so exactly. You can buy it there. Now, is there any? Uh, anything maybe coming up for like uh, U.S. or you know North America distribution? Yeah, we're working on uh, we're working on some. I have some news. I'm going to be letting everybody know very shortly. But there should be uh, a North American release before the end of the year, hopefully. Fantastic. So but I can't say I can't say more than that right now. But uh, it's looking it's looking pretty good. We have some people that really support us and are really back in the film. So. Uh, we're pretty lucky. We're pretty lucky. Oh, fantastic. I'll uh, you know keep the keep me updated for sure, and let me know when that goes up because uh, you know I want to make sure that people can get a hold of the movie and watch it and support awesome. you and your upcoming efforts. Because like I said, I think it's going to uh, be some good stuff. Awesome. Thanks a lot, bro. I really appreciate this, man. Uh, like I said before, you know, for an indie filmmaker to get you know kind of exposure that my film's getting and. Uh, and, you know, to have people like you just, you know, reviewing the films and, you know, just getting getting the name out there and, and getting people to recognize that, uh, you know, just because it's indie doesn't mean it has to suck, you know? Oh, dude, so, uh, right now, anymore, it's like, I, indie's where it's at, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm yeah, so, yeah. I've been so disillusioned by Hollywood and big budget yeah. pictures, and every once in a while there's something good that comes out, but... Man, it's it's few and far between. So I'm like just looking to indie right now to be kind of the savior of the, <laughs> yeah. the, the whole film thing, especially yeah. horror. And, especially uh, horror. Yeah. yeah, especially horror. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I want everyone to go to bikinigirlsonice.com and check out more about the movie, pick up a copy. 
And uh, Jeff, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to hit on here before we call it a night? Um, no, I, I think I think we're good. But uh, I'll definitely keep you posted on all the developments. And awesome. uh, you know, also if anybody uh, anybody out there is uh, I don't know they they want to get involved in the film or whatever, you know, just drop me a line. I I answer all the emails myself and. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those pretentious guys that doesn't uh, talk to people. I'm very, I can sit down and have a beer with about anybody. So. <laughs> you seem very, very easy to get along with. So, yeah, yeah. That's right. great. Cool. So, hey, Jeff, thanks for your time again, man, and hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Corey. All right, no problem. Take care. Okay, ciao. Queen of the zombies, eh? Long live the king. Next up, going to tell you about a book. Uh, more specifically, it, it's an audio book, but most people will probably actually read the physical book. Play Dead by a guy named Ryan Brown. And Ryan Brown has apparently starred on uh, soap operas and things like that, and he's decided to write a zombie book. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I heard about this from my friend Rick Moore that wrote me here a while back, and uh, he said, wants to know what I think. Well, I went to Amazon.com, downloaded the audio Audible, which is Amazon's uh, affiliate when it comes to audiobooks. And immediately I was annoyed. <laughs> Not having anything to do with the content, but uh, the, the DRM, the digital rights junk that they're throwing on files that you download and pay for. Uh, happens all the time on iTunes with music that you buy. And on you know when you download audiobooks like this, so they want to control how you're using their files. It's ridiculous. And uh, it, it just makes it extremely difficult to listen to the file wherever you want to. You know, I, I was wanting to listen to it actually in several different forms. Uh, I wanted it on my computer. So while I'm working, I could have listened to it. And then I wanted it on my BlackBerry because I go places. And whenever I have to take a trip downtown or something, I want to be able to continue listening to the audiobook. And they make it really difficult to be able to switch. I mean, just give me an MP3 and then I can throw it on whatever I want. But no, 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 no. They have to control that. <laughs> oh, what a pain. What a pain. But anyhow, <laughs> that has nothing to do with, the, like I said, the content of the book. Now, uh, this is about 
uh, small town high school football rivalries, uh, which is kind of cool. I'm kind of into that. Um, there's one uh, really small school, and it's on its way to its first playoff season. It's looking like it's going to go the whole way to the state championship. And uh, the steroid-soaked rival school takes the whole busload out, <laughs> like the whole football team, take the whole busload out one night on a prank gone all wrong. <laughs> they didn't mean for it to happen. <laughs> so yeah, they killed the whole football team. So this witch raises the whole team from the dead. It's a zombie team led by their coach and star quarterback who are still alive through all this because of other things going on in the plot here. And the zombie team has to win the big game against their steroid rivals. <laughs> so that they can return to rest and rest in peace. So that's the book in a nutshell. Uh, this is, I think, in a town in uh, Texas or something. It's very Southern, very Southern. It has a thick accent. Uh, the reader does a really, a really good job. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But, you know, I love the whole high school football thing, small town high school football rivalries. You know, I kind of grew up in a small town like that, and that was a big deal. Uh, I used to go to all the games and stuff and had fun. All my friends were there. All the cool kids hung out. <laughs> and uh, it was a really fun time for me. Although the, the people in my town never got as worked up about it as the people in this book or the people that uh, you see in a lot of TV and movies about, you know, Friday night football. Um, that just, I don't know. People were just not that concerned. Not that I was aware of, anyhow. So maybe I need to raise my awareness about that. So perhaps through reading Play Dead, my, my awareness has been raised about just how far people take this high school football rivalry thing. So thanks, Brian Brown, for the awareness on that. So anyhow, another reason to buy the book. There you go. But uh, the book itself, it's really like a very pop fiction kind of book. You know, it's kind of middle of the road. It's not too extreme uh, in any regard. The zombies aren't very gory. It's not very scary. The violence isn't that intense. You know, we have some violent scenes, but nothing shocking. I was not shocked at all at any point in this book. It, it's very character-driven with a lot of dialogue, a lot of subplots, and of course there's a love story. So, so yeah, that, that's it. it. It's meant for a very broad audience. I, I was really kind of disappointed by the lack of the zombie action and the violence. I mean, it's so heavy at the beginning with, with character development and relationships and things like that. It's, uh, you know, you know the zombies are coming at some point, but it takes them a while to get there. And when they do get there, they don't do much. And then they play a football game, you know. They, they, I think they do eat a few people before the before the game, but it's again, it, it was just nothing very intense. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I've been desensitized with all these zombie movies you kids have been making me watch. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's just not something I think that really devoted horror or zombie fans are really going to be into. Um, now I did, I'd listened to this as an audiobook, and I really enjoyed listening to it. And I have a feeling that I wouldn't have liked it uh, quite as much as I did if I would have just actually read the book. So yeah, so at least I got to listen to it and got a little bit of drama put into it that way. I, I don't know. Anyhow, out of 10, I'm going to give it a six. Uh, it's okay. It's just a middle of the road pop read. Apparently it's a very quick read. The audiobook's like nine hours. So yeah, that's what you'll get into it. Stuck on this. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. 
Well, I got a lot of uh, original music to play you. I I'm constantly recording new songs all the time and mixing stuff down and re-recording things. And I'm just a, a nutcase like that. <laughs> Constant. Uh, but anyhow, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I got some new equipment, actually, for my anniversary. So, yeah, that's very exciting. <laughs> my wife is great. <laughs> Although I basically went and bought the stuff I wanted and said, hey, uh, that's for my anniversary, our anniversary. <laughs> and there it was. But anyhow, I'm always doing stuff. But for this week, and I think for the next couple weeks, I'm going to go back in the archives a bit. I'm going to go back uh, about two and a half, three years on these. This is back to the podcast that I did before the Midnight Podcast. It was something very small, very informal. Um, I, I didn't make a big deal of it at all. It was called Podcast M. And the only purpose for it was that I wanted to start writing songs but my big thing was always I, it takes me a long time to write lyrics. I'm not very good at it, I don't think, or I'm not confident in it anyhow. And uh, so it takes me a long time to think of them. And uh, I just have a real problem coming up with real good ones because I want to be original too. You know, people write about the same stuff all the time. So it's like I want to write about new stuff. I want <laughs> but yeah, whatever. So to solve that problem, I decided that I was going to begin singing the words to a book that's uh, around here somewhere. I don't know. I'll find it. But it's called Mr. Bass's Planetoid. It's kind of a young adult fiction sci-fi book out of the 50s. I guess it's kind of a classic. Uh, I guess a lot of real sci-fi nerds uh, know about this book, and uh, it's... <laughs> Apparently it's pretty good. It's it's part of a series, but I found it at the Salvation Army thrift store for like a quarter, and uh, it looked pretty weird, so I bought it. You know, it's a quarter, <laughs> and uh, I, I started writing songs. And as I wrote songs, I would just go through the book and sing the words. So uh, there were several uh, installments before the one that I'm going to play for you today. I'm just going to play this one for you, and not the earlier ones because the early ones are really rough and really weird. <laughs> But I didn't do nearly as much production on those. Uh, maybe at some point in the future, I'll do those as a bonus. <laughs> and so maybe tack them on to the end of an episode so that you don't have to listen to it if, if you don't want to. <laughs> but anyhow, this specific one, uh, yeah, is about almost three years old at this point. It's called Short, Long, Long, Short, Long, Wait. And uh, it's part of Mr. Bass's Planetoid um, I programmed the drums on these, but uh, otherwise I did a lot of guitar work and a lot of effects and uh, the bass and singing, things like that. I had fun with it. So uh, next week, I'm actually going to be playing the uh, two songs that come directly after this and the whole progression. <laughs> um, the next one is called N.O.W. And the one after that is called No Code for That. So I'll be playing you both of those because chances are you haven't heard these. So... <laughs> Okay, I'm rambling again. Let's just play the song called Short, Long, Long, Short, Long, Wait.
to say this week, so I'm going to end it now. The end is here. Remember, send me in your zombie flash fiction story and you'll be entered in to the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody zombie flash fiction contest. Yeah, yeah. The deadline is July 4th, 2010, so come on, be a good citizen and send me flash fiction. You can send me up to three of them. Gotta be 500 words or less. Send it to Corey at midnightcory.com with zombie flash fiction contest. <gasps> In the subject line. And uh, these guys, Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody, awesome guys, are putting up some really cool books that you can win. So uh, you can check that out at midnightcory.com. Oh, yeah, I post a lot of other cool stuff there, too. So if you want to go and check out what's going on. Uh, the voicemail. I'm out of breath. Is it because I was talking about the Zombie Flash Fiction contest and not breathing enough? <sighs> <sighs> 814-806-2828 is the voicemail line. You can hear me on Library of the Living Dead on James Melzer's Unleashed, which I just sent him another review for his next episode, which is going to be House of the Devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to know what I thought of House of the Devil? Well, go listen to Unleashed. That's at jamesmelzer.net. So yeah, next week there's going to be more stuff. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but uh, yeah, I hope that you're there to listen to it. Stay loose and stay safe. And remember, when you think zombie movies, think the Nantori. I don't necessarily need to be here for this. Can I? I'm gonna keep the headphones on. Mother, I'm awesome. No, you're not, dude. Don't lie. I'm awesome. I'm driving around in my mom's ride. I'm awesome. A quarter of my life gone by, and I met all my friends online. Motherfucker, I'm awesome. I will run away from a brawl. I'm awesome. There's no voicemail, nobody calls. I'm awesome. I can't afford to buy eight balls, and I talk to myself on my Facebook wall. You know my pants sag low, low. even though low. that went out of style like ten years ago. Go, folks. I got Go. the swagger Go. of a cripple. Go. I got little. Biceps getting fatter in the middle And lyrically I'm not the best Physically the opposite of Randy Moss And yet so preposterous Feel the awesomeness The most obnoxious guest up at the Sausage Fest Oh yes 
The girls are repulsed, so I hide in my hood like I'm joining a cult. Uh -huh. I'm as nervous as my cattle, dirty Curtis. All my writings are bitten and all my verses are purchased. Me, I'll never uh -huh. date an actress. Got too many back zits. Plus, my whole home aroma is cat piss. Every show I do is poorly promoted. And if you like this, it's because my little sister wrote it. I'm awesome. No, you're not, dude. Don't lie. I'm awesome. I'm driving around in my mom's ride. I'm awesome. A quarter of my life gone by. And I met all my friends online. Motherfucker, I'm I'm awesome. I will run away from a brawl. I'm awesome. There's no voicemail, nobody call. I'm awesome. I can't afford to buy eight balls, and I talk to myself on my Facebook wall. I'm awesome. The sweat, 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 swagger of a cripple, of a cripple. The swag, the swagger of a cripple. Check it out. I'm from Maine, and I don't hunt. Nope. And I can't ski. Smoke weed, but I can't roll blunts. Find me whipped by my wifey. My neck not icy. Eating at McDonald's because Subway's pricey. And my unibrow's plucked. Just ask my mom if I could borrow ten bucks. She's like, for what? Blunt wraps and some Heinekens, you skinny prick, go get a gym membership and vitamins. I'm like, Mom, please, don't blame it on me. I got my bad habits from you, Dad, and Aunt Steve. My attitude's sour, yeah. but my futon's sweet, and the hair on my ass, it is Jumanji. Suit untailored, ringtone, Taylor Swift, can't tweet upon my Twitter, cause I haven't done shit. Bank account red, body ungroomed, only thing good about me is I'm off stage soon. I'm awesome. No, you're not, dude, don't lie. I'm awesome. I'm driving around in my mom's ride. I'm awesome. A quarter of my life gone by, and I met all my friends online. Motherfucker, I'm awesome. I will run away from a brawl. I'm awesome. There's no voicemail, nobody call. I'm awesome. I can't afford to buy eight balls, and I talk to myself on my Facebook wall. I'm awesome. Furthermore, I'm cornier than ethanol, cheesier than provolone. I spent ages eight to ten living in a motorhome with an ego the size of Tim Duncan. Even though I got shit for brains like a blumpkin, I'm 24 serving lobster rolls because I spent a decade filling optimos, and I'm not even the bomb in Maine. On my game, I'm only about as sexy as John McCain. Now put your hands up if you have nightmares. If you wouldn't man up if there was a fight here. If you got dandruff, if you drink light beer, I'm out of breath. But I'm awesome. No, you're not, dude. Don't lie. I'm awesome. I'm driving around in my mom's ride. I'm awesome. A quarter of my life gone by, and I met all my friends online. Motherfucker, I'm awesome. I will run away from a brawl. I'm awesome. There's no voicemail, nobody call. I'm awesome. I can't afford to buy eight balls, and I talk to myself on my Facebook wall. I'm awesome.